So as uh, you all know, we began the season of Advent last week, and this is our second week, and we lit our second candle uh, this morning, and it is the candle of peace. So last week, Christina introduced us to our series that we are going through during this season, and she introduced our theme, and our theme for our series is Path of Promise. Now, we chose this theme not just because Christina loves alliteration, but because uh, we know that if we are going to walk the path that God has laid out for us, if we're going to walk the path that God has laid out for us, then we're going to need something to help us keep going. Because the path of God, the ways of God, the narrow path that Jesus talks about is way too hard to walk in this world. We live in a violent, fractured, and stressed out world, and we need something to help us. We need something to help us continue to move forward. A few weeks ago, we talked about how we move forward by looking back. That's this idea of Sankofa that I introduced you all to. It's building upon the best of our past as we move into the future. And so what we've done is we've looked to the ancient Jewish faith to see what kept them going. Do you know what kept them going? Through all the hardship, in spite of all the oppression that they faced, in spite of hundreds of years of exile, in spite of massive failures, and genocide, and discouragement, and depression, and pain. Do you know what kept them going? The promises of God. The faithful Jews walked the path of God because of God's promises. They believed, like Christina said last week, that God is not just a promise maker, but God is a promise keeper. The promises of God have been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation and have finally been passed down to us. We have the same promises that sustained Abraham and Sarah, all the way back at the beginning. We have the same promises that empowered those Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, to rescue those babies from destruction in Egypt. We have the same promises that sustained Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. We have the same promises that were given to Ruth, the Moabite widow, the foreigner, that gave her the courage and compassion to migrate with her mother-in-law to a new land. We have the same promises that were given to David that gave him the resolve to rise up despite his lowly status. We have the same promises that sustain generation after generation after generation after generation. We have the same promises that caused Mary to sing when she learned that she would give birth to the Messiah. We can walk this hard path because we have the promises of God. Yes, the journey we travel is difficult. It is painful. It is traumatic at times. But it's possible because of God's promises. We are truly standing on the promises, as the hymn says. During Advent, we are focusing on the lectionary texts that are given to us, that have been given to us hundreds of years ago, 
And we're focusing on the Old Testament readings, which all come from the book of Isaiah. And they are all prophecies from the prophet Isaiah. And they all are basically promises from God. And all of them are basically pointing to the same promise, and it is this, the promise of new creation. God promises through the prophets time and time and time again that he is going to bring new creation, that he will restore, redeem, and recreate this world. And he gives the prophets prophets words and images and stories to help people imagine what new creation will be like. And our beautiful art that Emily created behind us is pointing us to, it's giving us images to look at even to imagine what this new creation will be like. As Christina said last week, God's ultimate plan is that God is going to restore and rebuild a new heaven and a new earth. And it is a powerful vision of heaven and earth colliding, becoming a place of complete unity and reconciliation between God and creation. You know, you may not know this, but throughout history, and there's a lot of evidence to show this is true, that prophets were most active in the Israelite faith during times of crisis, devastation, and pain. They've actually even seen the times the prophets were the most active was when the rich and the poor had the biggest gap between them. It was placed times of injustice and oppression. That's when the prophets stood up and were speaking and, and articulating this vision of new creation. And one of their primary jobs was to help people to hold on to hope and walk in the ways of God even in the most difficult and hard times. And so the prophets would come and they would try to help people imagine another world. They would try to help people imagine that another way is possible, that things don't just have to be the way we see right now here in front of us. And so prophets would help them envision something different. Now, we need more prophets today, I believe, (laughs) We need poets and creatives and artists and preachers and activists, prophets who can help us imagine what the new creation will be like. Prophets who can help us imagine another world different than what we're experiencing currently. Can we all agree that our world is not as it should be? There is so much suffering and injustice and violence. I feel like we're kind of barely hanging on a lot of the time. It often feels like we're just doomed for destruction. But prophets help us to wake up. They help us to imagine another world. They help us to see God's plan when it's really hard to see God's plan. And once we see God's plan for new creation, when we get a vision and we say, oh, that's what it's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like. There won't be any more violence. There's not going to be any tears. People are going to come together. We're going to be one with God, and we're all going to come together. In our diversity, there will be unity. When we see it, then we are invited to join with God to begin the work of new creation right now. So, for example, last week we read a prophecy in Isaiah, powerful image of weapons of war, swords being beaten into plowshares. 
Weapons of war being turned into gardening tools. What a powerful, powerful image. That means you don't fight wars with gardening tools. You cultivate the land and grow new things. You don't destroy, right? And we can get excited about the day when God gets rid of all the weapons. I can't wait. But we also should ask ourselves, how do we do the work of new creation now? How can we work now to end gun violence? How can we work now to put a stop to war? How can we work now to eradicate these deadly assault rifles, these weapons of war from our communities? How can we rebuild our public parks and bring resources and opportunities into struggling neighborhoods? This week I read that the promise of new creation is a gift and a vocation. The promises of God will restore and redeem all of creation. That promise that God is going to one day fix all this mess, that is a wonderful gift. And that can sustain us in this walk. That can help us to to face hardship and injustice and struggles. But it's also a vocation. It is a calling. We are invited. We are invited as God's people to embody that promise by the way we live together in this world. And so as you read these prophecies, these beautiful poetic images that seek to describe what the kingdom of God is like, ask yourself, how will I work to bring about new creation now? Let me read from Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. It is a hopeful promise of redemption and restoration. These words have been a gift to many for thousands of years helping them hold on to hope in spite of challenges. But remember, they are also a vocation, a calling towards the peaceable kingdom that we hear in these verses. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. In many ways, this describes kind of an impossible reality. But the cool thing about God is what we perceive to be impossible may in fact be possible. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples, for nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So this prophecy 
in Isaiah begins with an acknowledgement of the bad situation the Israelites were in. If you look at Isaiah 10, the chapter that comes right before, we read that the Israelites had been cut down like a tree. This is the image that's used in that passage. They endured the terrible consequences for their bad leadership, neglect of the poor, and their unjust practices. Isaiah could be referring to their exile that they went into. He could be referring to another national tragedy. It's not clear. But regardless, the Israelites were like a stump, as the verse says. They were dead, cut down, lifeless. Perhaps you know what that feels like. Then Isaiah cast a vision for a new life to emerge out of a place of death and destruction. A shoot or a stump has no life, it is done with, the tree has been cut down, but he writes that a shoot will grow up from the stump. That new life will grow out of a place that seemed to be dead. It reminds me of a, a poem by Tupac where he talks about the rose that grew out of the concrete. And he's referring to the concrete that blankets urban communities across our nation dealing with the deadly effects of wealth disparity and injustice and violence and often over-policing and gentrification. And he talks about a rose, a beautiful flower, a sign of new life in the midst of a deadly place. A few years ago, I went camping at the gorge by myself. And at that moment, I was feeling very low. And I looked and I thought, I need to just get away. And so I went camping by myself for a night. And, and I was hiking, and I looked at this massive rock above me, and it sounds kind of cheesy, but I saw a flower growing out of the rock. Y'all probably see this happen before. And there was nothing else around. I have no idea how this happens. But it spoke to me. I know it's really simple. But in that moment, that reminded me that things are going to be okay, that new life and new creation is possible. And for Isaiah, he's using a similar image, that a shoot would grow up from the stump. And what he's talking about here, what he was envisioning was a new king who would lead Israel. And so the shoot that's coming up is going to be a new king that would lead Israel in a wise, righteous, and just manner. And this new king would lead so effectively and compassionately and so righteously that there would be peace everywhere because of the king's leadership. And the image of peace is so profound. When Isaiah thought of new creation and new life, I love what he imagines in his mind. He imagined a world where the powerful no longer devour the weak. A world where humans from all nations would come together and love one another. But he also imagines that the animals won't even prey on one another anymore. All of creation. No longer will the weak be devoured by the strong. This is a vision, a taste of shalom. This biblical peace that's not just peace like getting along, but it's peace combined with justice and love. And the early Christians took this prophecy and really interpreted it to be about Jesus, the coming Messiah. They saw Jesus ultimately as that shoot that grew up from the stump. Jesus was the coming king, and that Jesus ushered in new creation when he was born in Bethlehem on Christmas Day. 
So you, can, you understand now why Mary was singing these songs of radical redistribution and justice. That's why the shepherds got so excited. That's why the Magi traveled so far. That's why Joseph took great risks to care for Mary and this child that wasn't technically his. That's why Simeon and Anna were so thrilled in the temple that day. They believed that Jesus was the shoot, the new life that emerged in a place of death and darkness. Last Monday when Christina was preaching, I was sitting out here and I was looking at the artwork behind me, and I was looking particularly at Emily's piece of art that depicts the stump. And I really was connecting deeply to this image because I'll tell you, just to be honest, I've lately I've felt kind of like that stump. I've felt fairly depressed at times, kind of dead and, and heavy with grief and loss. At the same time, I've also seen glimmers of hope, of peace, of love and joy as I've walked this hard road since losing my son. I've seen the small shoot emerging out of the dead places within me. I've seen glimmers of new creation. I've experienced some of God's redemption and love, and it has truly been a gift. But we all know that we can't just stop there. We don't just receive God's gifts and God's promises and hold on to them as if they are ours to keep. We've been invited by God to join Him in His work of redemption in other people's lives throughout our communities, in other neighborhoods, in other places across our world. I have been redeemed, and I am invited to work with God for the redemption of our world. Christina shared last week some powerful insight from N.T. Wright, and it's this, that the church is the pilot project of the new creation. That the church, we are the pilot project of the new creation. Through the power of the Spirit, the church is meant to model what new creation looks like by the way we live and love together. And so when we hear a prophecy about new creation, a prophecy about godly peace, then we can imagine how we bring about godly peace right now. We live as part of the new creation now. The new creation hails Jesus as king, and so we live now as if Jesus is on the throne. And if Jesus desires the powerful to stop devouring the weak, then we work for that now. If Jesus desires that power, the dynamics be shifted, then we need to think about how we redistribute power now. We advocate for the weak and we protect those who are vulnerable now. We befriend the outcasted and lonely now. We refuse to take part in any bullying or any meanness now. We speak up when our voice is needed now. The promise of new creation is both a gift and a vocation. We embrace the promise, we receive the promise, and we act upon the promise. New creation is a wonderful gift. We believe that as Christians, we can experience new life and new creation right now through the power of Jesus' Spirit working in us. When I was baptized, I believed that I was raised to new life with God. And it is a gift to have that in my life, to experience that new life in my own life. But it's not something I can just hold on to for myself. It has become my vocation, my calling to share that new life, that new creation with others.
And this has radically kind of changed the way I think about my faith in the last few years. It's not just so that I can give my life to Jesus so that I can go to heaven one day and be with him. No, like that is, Jesus offers me that gift, but has also invited me to join him in his work, to make sure that gift is shared with every single person and in every community across our world. So that new creation is part of my personal life, but it's also part of our world. And so we join with God. And so what I'm trying to do in my life, and I get it right sometimes and I get it wrong a lot of the time, but I'm trying to work with God to share that new life with others. Through my personal life and my family and my parenting and my marriage, also in my work here at the church at Common Good and at Neighbors, so many different ways I'm trying to do this in my life. And I encourage you all to think about how you will join with God to bring about new creation now. You know, what an honor and privilege it is. What an honor it is to partner with God to see our world become what it is meant to be. That's a great honor. And I never understand why God wants to work with us because we're not very good partners sometimes, right? If I was going to hire someone to work with me, I don't know if I'd pick myself sometimes, you know? But God, for some reason, wants to partner with us to see this world redeemed. God is powerful. God could have come up with another way. But God has chose to walk with us and us to join him in his work. Perhaps because he loves us so much and just wants us to be near him. I'm not sure. But regardless, it is an honor and a privilege to partner with God to see our world become what it is meant to be. A place of peace. A place of belonging. A place of mutuality and sharing. A place of equity. A place of justice. And every single one of us have a part to play. It is our vocation to do the work of new creation now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.